KRCL 90.9 FM, HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org. The Utah Film Center and KRCL present Black, Bold, and Brilliant, a series of events that highlight issues affecting the black community as seen through the lens of film and media. The next event at 7 p.m. December 14th at the Downtown City Library will discuss black food culture by looking at Netflix's High on the Hog and other works with local black foodies. More information at utahfilmcenter.org. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, DIY creatives, and you. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community tonight with us on the show. We are going to talk I-15 expansion once again, keeping our focus on what's happening here on Salt Lake City's west side all the way up to Farmington and what this planning process will do to communities. Will it benefit them? Will it destroy home ownership? We're going to find out more about the history of I-15 on the west side with Maria Garcias, CEO of NeighborWorks Salt Lake. I had a chance to Zoom with her earlier this week. I'll share that conversation with you. Also, Senator Luz Escamilla from District 1 slash 10, because it all changes on the 1st of January in Salt Lake County. She will join us in a little bit. But first, we're going to get to some rallies and resources. If you go to krcl.org and click on the Community Affairs tab, you will find the rallies and resources list. Events that we think folks who listen to Radioactive, they might be interested. You might be interested in donating your time, your talents, your treasure. For instance, there are several holiday drives going on right now. Utah Tribal Relief Foundation Holiday Drive, Uprock and Art Space Bridge Project Christmas Drive, the Eccles Winter Clothing Drive for Volunteers of America of Utah, and Candy Cane Lane at YWCA of Utah. And that's where we're going to bring in a special guest, Sandra Stokes. Thanks for coming in. It's been a while since you, the Chief Mission Impact Officer, have been on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And we got some music picks from you too, because I know how much you love music. Yes, you do. And you always give me that opportunity. So thank you. And you, you made two excellent picks. They're going to be our songs for this <laughs> evening. So stick around, folks. But um, give us an update on the year that was at the YWCA before we dive into Candy Cane Lane and how folks can still help with this event. It's Absolutely. been a year, right? It's been a year. Uh, and I hope that everyone is doing the best they can and finding space to rest in this year. Uh, for us at the YWCA of Utah, we are busy. We have stayed busy uh, even throughout the pandemic. So we are continually focusing on survivors and providing services with care, community, and dignity, which is why Candy Cane Lane is so important because this year has seen um, us continue to have a steady campus of folks. Our shelter has stayed full. Um, our transitional housing, that's 36 units, has stayed full. So we've been able to provide um, more long-term housing. And that has also created um, a variety of needs that Candy Cane Lane helps us meet all year long. So even though it's a holiday gifting event, it's where residents who are staying at the YWCA are coming to us through the FJC, through the broader community. So maybe not staying with us, but getting services through the FJC. Family Criminal Justice, right? That's right. So it's the Family Justice Center. Thank you. Uh, they can come and pick out new gifts, um, such as toys, games, puzzles, clothing items for their family for this holiday season. So looking at restoring some of the dignity that some is often lost when a family has to flee 
and leave all their belongings behind. And forgive me, I don't know why I put criminal into the name of that fine it's family okay. justice center. Uh, does great work in our community and with partners like the YWCA of Utah. We had Bill Tibbetts of Crossroads Urban Center. We had powerful moms who care on just last night. And they both talk about how more families with children are being turned away from homeless shelters because there's not room at the mm-hmm. inn. And you are just, as you just shared, demand as high as ever with the YWCA of Utah. Any unique factors? Is it the inflationary cycle that we're in? I think the unique factors are factors that are not new, but I know that inflation, that's across the board, from our groceries to the gas, families choosing between medicine and food, not being able to afford the housing. Rent has like tripled for some families across our nation. And even in Utah, the housing crisis is deeper than ever. And the resources for housing are thin because the need is also just as high. This is a little odd question out of left field for the YWCA, but have you heard from your clients, anyone who's been, uh, who lost their housing because it's been flipped into an Airbnb, you say? Um, I have not personally heard, but I know it is happening, right? Like, or the other side of it is we're watching all these mega apartment complexes go up and they're not affordable. Yeah. And there's not a pathway to rentership in an affordable way. So it's like, who, who's, who's the market? Yeah. So as we look at the affordability and the accessibility. It's certainly not for people who are already living here, it feels like. Yes. And I'm like, if it's not for the folks who are living here, it's also looking at, all right, for the folks who are in the area or new to the area, you can't afford to get into these luxury apartments. And so as we're watching all these apartments get built left and right, I'm like, how are they going to get filled? Who's going to afford yeah. them? But for us, we focus on what's in our control at that moment. It's like, okay, well, let's look at what does emergency safety look like? And if an individual does want housing, if they want to return to the home they own, how do we help that happen? If it's finding a new place and going into rentorship, are there any housing vouchers that they could qualify for? What resources are out there so we can try to help? Think of safety as long-term, not just emergent in the moment. Well, Governor Cox, in his budget that was revealed, it wants to spend a lot more money on, on this issue. Mm-hmm. And hopefully this will come to pass sooner rather than later. But you know how it goes when legislation is being yes. made and a budget being passed. But let's dig into Candy Cane Lane, uh, what it is, how it works, how folks can get involved in helping. Thank you. I think uh, first, I, I always like to share Candy, Candy Cane Lane is a space where we turn our gym into a shopping event for holiday giving. So it opens up as Candy Cane Lane during this week and families can come and shop for for the people in their family. So So these are folks staying with you in your services. That's right. So they're either in our emergency shelter, they could be staying in our apartments or receiving services. So not staying with us, but receiving services through our Family Justice Center. And it's restoring the dignity back into the moment where families had to leave everything and also stay in shelter during a holiday or find themselves you know staying in our transitional housing and also looking at how do i make this holiday season special but more importantly the the gifts that we get are brand new the items that we get so families come in um, we always make sure we have an abundance so that nobody goes without but it's looking at coats jackets shoes basic essentials brand new but also toys games puzzles that the family can walk through and the parent can pick out they know what their child and they're giving their child christmas that's right they are providing christmas and the, the gifts that we receive during this time come through donations from sponsors individuals in our community so thank you to our community members folks are coming from all over to donate new items and throughout the year candy cane lane provides this source of resources 
things, if there's birthdays that come up, they can come and get gifts for birthdays. So it's not just like a one week. Yeah. It's everything that we get. And then it provides all year long. Because the need doesn't stop. The after need the never holidays. stops. No. So you're still accepting items then, right? We are still accepting items. Uh, we are also asking folks, if you do have items that you want to give, that you call us um, to schedule a pickup. We are a location that is very focused on safety. So if we can schedule a time to pick up, we can also know to expect you and help, you know, help whatever that donation is, receive it in a way that um, helps us directly get it into the building and more importantly, get it out onto the floor for families that might be in need. Now, in tonight's show notes, I'll put a list, the 2022 wish list for Candy Cane Lane that gives a, a great starting point for folks like, well, what what do folks need or want? Yes. And there's new teen clothing and gifts. There's children's toys and clothing. There's also the essentials of giving a gift, like wrapping paper and boxes and bows, pet gifts, things like that. Um, uh adult size clothing and gifts for women but there's one that always works gift cards yes so what kind of gift cards are we looking for gift cards to like you know a lot of the places you shop so gift cards to target could be gift cards to smith's gift cards i mean just to any to, to provide that dignity and the option for the person to go there and select items that they need so i just think about where you know think about where you go to, to, to shop where do you enjoy getting items from getting the gift card there, being that we're downtown, gift cards to Smith's, it's close in location. Um, if we look at gift cards um, to Kohl's, I mean, you think, you name it, we get it, right? And we will definitely utilize it. And it goes back to the beneficiaries of this event, which is survivors of DV. So domestic violence, can you give us your thoughts on that this year, especially at the holidays? It's even that more tender when you think of holidays as an opportunity for families to gather, but the women and children you're helping are in a unique circumstance. Absolutely. Uh, I always talk about the holidays are hard for everyone in different ways. And even if I don't um, center this conversation on specifically domestic violence survivors, this pandemic has been a, uh, three years of loss. It's, it's bringing up a lot and there's a lot of emotions in it. So I always say if you find yourself in need of help, there's resources. If you find yourself needing resources or a way to respond to get out of an emergency that is domestic violence, we have a crisis line. Call us. Uh, there's other DV providers across the county and we just want to make sure that folks have the space to live with dignity and a space free from violence. And they can look at look forward to say, what's safety to me and what do I need for myself or me and my family? We'll put a link in tonight's show notes to YWCAUtah.org slash Candy Cane Lane. It's that simple. You can schedule a drop-off appointment. And it doesn't have to be the holidays to give. So maybe things are tight for you right now, but you're thinking, I've got something coming in a bit and I can help out. Your donations are always welcome any time of year. I wanted to, before we let you go and get into a bit of music with you, um, talk about the legislative session that's coming up and the role that the YWCA plays in policy in helping women and girls is crucial. Um, and there's always a great team at the Y for the legislative session. It really is. So our policy director, Gabe Archuleta, is just takes on the session with so much like advocacy and centered approach. We use a racial justice equity lens to drive our policy work. What does that mean? What that means is getting really explicit and getting curious when we look at a bill, asking the question, in this bill, if it passes or if it does not, who is most impacted? Who is burdened? Does this bill create access, deny access? And for historically marginalized communities or individuals, how does it impact them most? And then center and say, and what is the strategy and the conversation that we should be approaching with this policy lens? So that's what it means is to get real explicit about 
um, evaluating these policies and saying, how does it impact our communities? And or how does it unburden or does it remove a burden that has been there systemically? So our team does that. And when I say a team, Gabe works with interns every year. Shout out to the interns. Um, interns help us do so much of our policy work along with our policy committee. And they're constantly looking at things like paternal, the paternal health bill, paternal mental health. We're looking at any type of bill that could be affecting um, Medicaid or access to health. We're looking at appropriations. How much money is being contributed to DV services, to um, domestic violence or sexual assault services? And, you know, can, how do we get a more because the need is there and more for all of us. So as we turn towards the session, it's also looking in um, setting our priorities in align with our mission and also looking at and how do we create this opportunity to advance racial and gender equity through a policy initiative. So they've got to they take on a task. Well, and Gabe does great updates on your social media and frequently comes on and shares the good word with radioactive listeners. Yes. So please let Gabe know that we're excited for 2023 to share their perspective. So Candy Cane Lane started today and goes through the 18th, but its effects are felt all year long. So one more time uh, for folks listening who may have just jumped into our conversation what are some of the stories or memories you have of Candy Cane Lane since you've been part of the YWCA? I think part of it is there was a birthday that popped up and the parent just just arrived in shelter and was like, my kid's birthday's tomorrow. I have nothing. We just had to leave. And our staff had the ability to say, we, we got you. I got um, a closet over here. Yes, exactly. Full <laughs> it's full of stuff and it's new. Let's get you, you know, let's get you some time. Let's have you walk through so you can gather some items. That moment, like that is that real time, like, you know, that safety settled in. And then that parent was able to reflect and say, okay, what do I've got coming up? Their birthday's tomorrow. We have nothing and we're here. So I think, I think of moments like that. I also think about the hundred plus kids that live at the YWCA and call the place home and how we can continue and Candy Cane Lane helps us make it special um, for them on their birthdays or different holidays that are showing up. So like I said, even though it's Candy Cane Lane, it's all year long and it's volunteers that are helping us staff it along with our staff who are giving more of their time to help keep it um, open and um, accessible. And if you yourself are wanting to volunteer, because we do need help with takedown, please go through our website to sign up to be a volunteer. Please don't just show up. Um, that will throw us off, but we will um, <laughs> welcome the help because, you know, it's, it's one of those that also helps us kind of redistribute and take things that are left from Candy Cane Lane, put them back in storage so they're accessible all year. And that ask list that you're going to send helps us keep um, replenishing so that we can continue to provide all yeah. year long. We'll put the ask list in tonight's show notes at krcl.org. But what's the website for YWCA? It's ywcautah.org. So click on Come See Us. And um, you've got the drop downs. We've got our list out there. There's the numbers for crisis. If you find yourself in need of help, our crisis line is 24 seven. If you're wanting to give, you can also go to our volunteer today, help out. And um, we'll, we'll gladly take all the help we can get. Well, let's get to Donnie Hathaway. Tell us about this song. Oh, this song is all about my mom in like uh, Christmas and Festivus. And it's the drums, the horns, and Donnie's beautiful voice. Donnie Hathaway, this Christmas on KRCL. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thank you for having me on.
KRCL is a member of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, a solutions journalism initiative of media outlets and community partners. Together, we're working to better inform and engage you about the crisis facing the Great Salt Lake and what can be done to make a difference before it's too late. Read all of the news at greatsaltlakenews.org. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Share the Love event a partnership with local charities in delivering hope this holiday season. Learn more and info on how to get involved at markmillersubaru.com. Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones. And coming up at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now!, followed by Rude Awakening with Liz. Maximum Distortion with Forgash and Cody D at 10.30. And John Florence starts your brand new day at 6 a.m. If you missed any show, well, you can hear the last two weeks on demand at krcl.org, including this show, krcl.org, made possible by contributions from generous listeners like you. All right, we're going to talk about I-15 right now, and Senator Luce Escamilla is with us. Hi, how you doing, Senator? It's always a pleasure, Laura. It's been a while. I know it has. District 1, District yes. 10, this District is changing. It's changing, and, okay. right. So uh, because of redistricting, I use the R word, so the G word. Yes. But uh, District 10 is what you represent effectively. Yes, they even took the number. Yeah. I'm like, dear Lord, like, they even take the numbers now. <laughs> it used to be, like, nicer. It's just, you know. Well, yeah. I want to find out how the town hall went last week, but first, I have a conversation I Zoomed with Maria Garcias of mm-hmm. NeighborWorks Salt Lake. You're familiar with all the work that NeighborWorks and Maria have, have been doing since uh, the 90s to build home ownership and therefore wealth in the West Side. But I asked her about the history. So here's that conversation. Hi, everyone. Maria Garcia, CEO of NeighborWorks Salt Lake. And then NeighborWorks Salt Lake is a 45-year-old community development organization created in 1977 uh, to help revitalize neighborhoods. In fact, if you go to the website for NeighborWorks, you can see their impact since 1997, folks. 912 housing units, $152 million plus community investment, stakeholders, $502 million plus, and community graduates, 3781 So what I wanted to expand upon with you, Maria, was what you shared in the community meeting at Mestizo Coffee House last week, uh, Gavin Dahl brought back some of your comments where you talked about the history. You were very even-toned, but the bottom line was there's zero trust between the West Side community and UDOT because with this I-15 expansion we're facing right now, the West Side has been there before. Can you give us the history? Sure. So in the early 60s, the I-15, uh, Interstate uh, 15, Uh, was constructed in the early uh, 60s. And I was young at that time, but I certainly remember the impact um, as as a young adult uh, creating the divide between the East and the West. So it took out a a good chunk of the housing along Salt Lake City's West Side, I would say probably from 13th South to what is now the Rose Park area. And as we look at I-15 expansion now, um, it would take out a good chunk of the housing that NeighborWorks Salt Lake has invested in in the past 30 years. And so that type of impact will have you know, such negative um, impact for the families that we've helped uh, create housing for, for the investment that we've made in nearly four decades. Um, but I just think, you know, more than anything else, it continues to add to the trauma that Westsiders experience. And as I've mentioned, right, Operation Rio Grande. Uh, when Operation Rio Grande came into play, we said sustainability. Will you continue to fund it? 
there was a promise that they would continue to fund it well. There's not funding for it anymore. And you know, not only does Salt Lake City have to contend with those challenges, the West Side has had greater impact with that. Um, Inlandport, right? Even though we came out for listening sessions, gave a lot of feedback, it still happened to the West Side. Um, the prison, we talked about the challenges of the prison that it would cost citizens millions more dollars as it has, and that there would be issue with mosquitoes for those residents of the prison and what's some of the greatest challenges that our um, residents of the prison are experiencing, mosquitoes. And so hundreds of listening sessions, I've been to those, Laria, you've been to those, hundreds of residents have been to those. And I have to tell you, I appreciate commitment from our residents who continue to show up, who continue to speak their word. But, you know, I'm a longtime resident. I've worked into this in this community most of my career. And it's not very often that these listening sessions are executed on. And so that was my message to, to Utah Department of Transportation is, yeah, all that you're saying and all that you're documenting is that's nice, but execute on it. Because what you're hearing from this community is we do not need uh, additional expansion of the freeway. We need better public transportation. I think that was just, for me, I just had to say, look, I have zero trust. Um, and I work with private and public sector probably more than most residents do. And I would say a good 50% of the time, people will come to the table and they'll follow through. But when it comes to the state and federal, that that's seldom the case. One of the things that I've heard from folks as I've been talking to them about this is that UDOT um, they feel blind, blindsided by UDOT. I don't know how you could feel otherwise when this is going to come through your neighborhood, but that the sessions in the community that they had earlier this year, as far back as March, were about rebuilding interchanges, not expanding, and that it wasn't until, oh, around Election Day this year that they started publicly stating, no, it's expansion. When did you hear about it and how? I would say probably last month when they had a focus group that was hosted at, at NeighborWorks Salt Lake. Um, and I think we were all surprised when we saw the maps. Um, and it was one of our residents from Rose Park asked, you know, what is this line right here? Uh, it looks like it's going through a Guadalupe neighborhood. Um, and part of the feedback was, oh, yeah, but, you know, that's just a draft. It doesn't mean a lot. Um, so that was sort of our first introduction to, oh, no. But that experience is very similar to when tracks was coming in um, and they were looking at building tracks along 600 West instead of along North Temple. I found about it accidentally by a planner when I was sitting across from her at the airport and she mentioned to me, Maria, are you aware that um, the city and the state are looking at uh, taking the tracks along 600 West uh, versus North Temple. And I'm like, no, we haven't heard anything about that. So that's what this feels like. Um, you know, way back, you know, 10 years ago when we were talking about tracks, the community organized around it, the city listened, UTA listened, which was great. You know, we are hoping that UDOT will listen. You know, not hundreds of people are coming out, thousands of people are coming out. And it's not just West Siders that are coming out. It's all of Salt Lake City that's coming out to say, we do not need more freeway expansion. We need better public transportation. Mayor Mendenhall on the show has said 
look, UDOT is going to do this project. We can't just be outraged. So what is your advice as the leader of NeighborWorks Salt Lake? I mean, these this is going to go through some of the housing and uh, commercial space that you've helped develop, like you said, for decades. Um, how do you hold some sort of line to get a, a better project? Um, because I, I look at expanding I-15, and I just have to say to myself, full disclosure, KRCL's in the Guadalupe neighborhood. I live in Rose Park. Why are we doing this? Work is changing. We've seen what more and more freeway does in other communities. Like uh, in Boston, the big dig, they're trying to put it underground. In San Francisco, they're trying to put it underground. Why are we doing an old-fashioned expansion, I guess, is one of my questions. And what do you want to have the community do about it? I, I, I agree. I, we either need to go underground or we need to do a double-decker. Right. I've seen that in other places. But again, you know, you're building more freeway, you're bringing more cars. Um, and, and so, I, you know, if they have to do a widening of the street, I would not take it uh, from four south to the end of Rose Park. I would take it from the Farmington area because there's less housing there. There's more green space there and you would take out minimal housing in that area. But when you're talking four south, through the Rose Park area, you're having a huge impact on not just single family, but multifamily housing. But ideally, underground, right? Ideally, double-decker, but in the perfect scenario, no build. Looking at the housing crisis, since I have you <laughs> uh, here to, to share your expertise, you know, $55 million going to, to housing already from the state, the governor's new budget, even hundreds, millions more, yet at the same time, billions in tax breaks. Can you talk about housing and the future of housing and what you'd like to see fostered, especially on the West Side? Yeah, I think all of the dollars that are being allocated for housing are incredible. And the populations that they'll help the most are those that are deeply affordable housing. Where the greatest gap is, what we're seeing, the people that are walking into our door are the 80 to 120%. So, Laura, the not-for-profit workers, um, the school teachers, the you know, policemen, the firemen, um, even city employees. So, you know, folks that are more the, the workforce, you know, how do we help them, right? The only way that we're able to help them right now is through large down payment assistance grants. And even at that, that's really challenging. The interest rates are going up. And so what I'm seeing is people are just not buying right now because they can't afford to buy. Uh, we're building a lot of units, right, for rental. So at some point, uh, if we continue to build, I'm hoping that the rental market will be more generous to a lot of the families that are having to double and triple uh, unless those interest rates go down, unless wages go up, we're going to continue to have people who are housing poor that are spending 50 to 60% of, of their income on housing. My daughter would love to move out of the house. Um, I'd like her to move out just for her own independence. But she said, the only way, mom, I can afford to move out is if I have two or three roommates and we'd each have to share a bedroom. 
and and so you know you and I growing up we were able to you know find an apartment for this will date me right two hundred dollars right but you know even if I were to sell my house now Laura living in the Guadalupe neighborhood I would have to live in suburbia to afford a house I could not afford to to live in the city and we can't build there's it's you know I mean NeighborWorks is looking to build probably 30 units uh, in, in the next 12 to 24 months. But my concern is that the cost of building housing is incredibly difficult. So the only way they'll be affordable is through a community land trust. And so that's where the it's a shared equity program. So that's a good first step, but it's not going to build the wealth that our organization is used to helping families build. And then how much is public transit, good public transit, tied to the success of those folks after they get into those homes? Yeah, I mean, good public trans- transportation is important because, again, with with multifamily housing, there's less and less parking, right? Uh, there's less and less parking, so you do need that public transportation. But again, that's our push: is public transportation needs to be more affordable than it currently is. And the governor's looking at trying to see how he can get it free in this next session. Well, lots we're, of lots of things coming we're all for that. <laughs> Lots of things are going to be happening and people need to pay attention, not just uh, if and when they register to vote and vote. So any advice for folks hearing this about the upcoming legislative session and talking to their lawmakers? Absolutely. Public transportation. Um, we need to focus on not not the expansion of the freeway, but to be more efficient in terms of taking it up or taking it down or, or doing a no-build I think Utah needs to think about becoming a zero emissions vehicle state, a ZEV state. You know, we keep talking about the quality of air, but it's hard to find. You know, I I bought an electric vehicle about two years ago. I had to go to Grand Junction, Colorado to buy this car because I didn't want a high-end electric vehicle. I just wanted a sort of middle electric vehicle. But because we're not a ZEV state, it's a little bit more challenging to get a vehicle here. But our quality of air here, air here is terrible. So I don't see, I don't see clean air as a priority. If it was a priority, we'd look at becoming a ZEV state like California to commit, right? I think is that by 2035, they are not going to sell gas vehicles. That's a huge statement. Um, and so I don't think that we're doing a good job in terms of quality of air and Salt Lake City's West Side struggles. But I think when we're talking about legislators, it's not an East Side and a West Side thing. It's, it, it's right. It's a Utah thing. It's a Salt Lake City thing. The quality of air impacts us all. So people need to engage. Well, Maria, where can folks learn more about NeighborWork Salt Lake and get involved with your nonprofit? Thank you, Laura. Yes, they can always visit our website at www.nwsaltlake.org. It's Maria Garcia's of NeighborWorks Salt Lake, which is hiring, by the way, if you're looking for a change in employment in the new year. I'll put a link in the show notes. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive. We're talking about expansion of I-15 as proposed from Farmington to Salt Lake, and especially how it affects the west side of Salt Lake City, which has a history of homes being taken out for Interstate 15 to begin with, as Maria just shared with us. In the studio, we have Senator Luz Escamilla, who represents the area, and currently District 1, District 10, come January 1st in the new legislative year, (laughs) Senator. So last week, 
Last week, you and Representative Romero and Representative Hollins held a town hall at the Utah State Fair Park. How many folks turned out and was there any common themes that you heard? Um, yes, and thank you, Laura, again for, for this invitation. And I, I'm very appreciative of the work by um, Maria in terms of explaining the history. There is history to this. There's history of um, just historically how disproportionately the West Side has carried the weight of so many issues that should be carried across the state, <laughs> not only in Salt Lake City, but truly across the state. So we have, you know, she mentioned some of them, including state prison and inland port and now now this, right? So this is, this is a theme. This was yeah. an ongoing theme. It's like we're tired. We're here to be good neighbors and a good part of the state and, and bring solutions, but let's let's pause on this. So just really quick, we um, both, as you know, Representative Hollins, Representative Romero, myself, we represent the vast majority of this Northwest Quadrant uh, corridor piece and, and the area here in the um, area of the west of I-15. And we, so just to be clear, and, and if I can just expand into process, because this was very important as we ha- was ha- having this meeting and talking to the to the constituency that were, they're concerned, they're very concerned about timeline, first of all. Because they had a very strict deadline with a December deadline that now has been expanded for comments to go back to the Utah Department of Transportation, which is a state agency. And but so what we did is we wanted first to start on process. How does this start? Who who got this idea of yeah. addressing the traffic and the future of Farmington? You know, so this is all I-15 corridor, which is a foot. I mean, you know, I-15 goes from Canada all the way to Mexico. So it's like it covers the whole country, right? So it's a main, main highway, main freeway, and it's a huge corridor for us in the state of Utah. But we're now addressing Farmington to um, 400 South. So that part, so there was different things that came out of that conversation. First is that many of these recommendations come from a very, a very uh, a plan that's actually a 50-year plan. And every five years, there's different modifications and pieces that happen. And they don't, they're not done through the Utah Department of Transportation. This actually happens in what we call the Wasatch Front Regional Council. Who sits on that? Are they elected? Yes. So great point. We went back to who are the Wasatch Front, um, in this case, Wasatch Front uh, Regional Council, which is who we belong to if we live in this area. So it's, it's, most, it's by regions. So the ones in our area include um, Davis County, Actually, I believe Wasatch Davis, all the way, I think, to Utah County. So it's like the Wasatch Front for our purposes. Summit, probably, right? And Summit. And they and they have, uh, it's represented by um, mostly uh, elected officials, local elected officials. Like mayors. All the mayors. City so and county, county and city. So in, in the case of our area, of course, it's our own city mayor, our county mayor, and actually the other cities. So Mill Creek, Holiday, South uh, Salt West Lake. Jordan, South Salt Lake, all of those are part of this regional council. And then you do have representation. One member, some of these are non-voting representatives, are, are like Department of Transportation, UTA. So yes, they are there, but they're not the ones that are calling the shots on this, on the plan of a 50-year looking ahead. Envision uh, Utah. I mean, which we need, right? I mean, we need yeah. planning constantly, every five years, updated. Keep moving this fifty-year plan into exactly. the future. Correct. Right. So that was important for the public to understand because I, I want to make sure that there was a clear understanding that Utah didn't wake up and they're like, hey, this is this is where we go now. That's what it feels like, right? right? In and, Rose and, Park, and right? that is, and that was part of the the situation. I think we need to be very honest, have a, an honest conversation and allow for the public to now participate because this is the time for them to engage and participate and have the comments about the alternative. So the question now was the next question is who came up with this 
two alternatives, alternative A and alternative B, which is what's being presented to us as community. As what's going to happen, what's gonna one happen. or the other. And that's not necessarily true. So we okay. went to the bottom of this. I this feel like you're here to walk me back from the <laughs> ledge. <laughs> a, well, and, and that was resident. us when we were like looking at this yeah. and we we're getting all this information and the constituency are so upset and they're rightly so upset. Yeah. So now we went back, we brought the experts, which are, you know, the UDOT staff and they're there to do a job. But I'm like, you need to understand for the public, we're dealing with PTSD here. I mean, there's oh, trauma. Yeah. Well, I, and I noticed that in the comments that we brought back from the uh, community meeting at Mestizo Coffee, where Maria was speaking. And so was the deputy director of Utah, Shane Marshall is what I want to say. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I have that right. Um, who was like, well, well, we're not saying we're taking it. Well, you're talking to people who have lived here long enough that remember UDOT's promises over the decades. Mm -hmm. And Maria articulated that then and in the conversation I just uh, shared with folks that there's zero trust because of how I-15 was developed in the 60s and the rebuilds that have happened since then. You know, and and one of the things that we've done in the legislature, so now let's bring the legislature to this play because the legislature funds Department of Transportation. Mm -hmm. They're a state agency, right? So they're part of the executive branch. So obviously our governor, in this case, uh, Governor Spencer Cox is the executive branch and he oversees this piece, but we fund them. We give them the funds to do whatever they are doing. So it's the people's taxpayers funds. So we, we've actually shifted the way we prioritize projects. So that's the other piece. So regional, Wasatch Regional, from Regional Council submits, you know, this set of projects and the vision in the next 50 years and a plan. That plan is not going to get 100% funded. And the legislature is going to be like, yeah, we're going to fund everything. No. Then there's some process where the legislature starts prioritizing those plans that have been submitted by those regional councils. Mm-hmm. Again, regional councils represented by and voting members are those mayors in those local areas. Important why you vote local. Absolutely. Don't so just critical. top a ticket. Very critical. And then you do have legislators that serve there, but they're not voting members on the regional councils. There's mm-hmm. some of them, um, six of them, I believe, total in the whole um, regional councils. And then come to the legislature for prioritization. Now, how do they how do they bring projects to the table? Who gets one first or the other? There's a, a very important piece that... Department of Transportation did have clarified, and that is every time a road needs to be uh, replaced based on age, mm-hmm. which, by the way, this I-15 is our time in terms of replacement. Just From 600 north in Salt Lake to 400 south hasn't been touched in decades. Correct. So 600 north north had some rebuilding over the years. Correct. So that part needs to be and mm-hmm. by that time, not retouched, but like it needs new road. Yeah. Like so, that was one of the pieces of why they this came on top of the priorities. Like, oh, they really need this, including overpasses and bridges, which we do need. Yeah. And those now upgrades. have become those have become now a public safety issue because mm-hmm. they're ready for collapse. And I don't want to like scare people, but we've seen some cases in other parts of the country where we haven't done a very good job on infrastructure yeah. across the country, not only Utah, in keeping up with that. So that was also in the mix of why are we having this conversation now? That was part of it. So now, and it's traffic, right? So we said, well, your options A and B are not really what the community needs and wants and how we feel. So what is the alternative? I wanted to get out of that meeting, Laura, to your point, and we had a good attendance. At the Fair Park At the Fair week. Park, it was really well attended. Um, 
close to 100 people. I mean, it was good. People wanted to hear, and people that live here and that want options, and look, we're missing a lot of people that are still working because mm. we work in a, you know, we are a working community, and most of our con- constituents have two to three jobs sometimes just to barely make it, and we need to recognize that. So we will be doing alternative meetings in the future also in other hours, and this was in the evening. So what we came out from there is we want to have other alternatives. This should not only be the only alternatives. So we will go through an exercise, and we, we did that, uh, we committed to that, and UDOT will be providing some technical assistance so the public, in the case of the Fair Park Community Council, for example, they actually have an, uh, an alternative to the two alternatives. So look at them being proactive. That's what we need. And their alternative is a um, under, you know, like let's Let's do what San Francisco did or others where instead of continuing to expand lanes, we're now going to go either under or overpasses, right, which is extremely expensive. But that's at least you're not touching housing. You're you're not. But we should be open to all options and not only keep on growing lanes, which is that we know that's actually affected. There's also an impact into our air quality into this. So what you thought explained and we we were very clear and we will be providing more info to our constituents is uh, it, provide a timeline because this is barely the beginning of the process. This is still a long process to go. Well, with the initial public comments due by mid-December, granted extended to January 13th, it felt like here it comes, here comes that oncoming train and you're just going to have to deal with it. Yeah. So this is not happening January 1. No, and it's not happening in the next two years. So that I, that was very important too, and that was my first question to you. That I'm like, you, the communication is not clear, guys, because it just sounds like you're coming and start construction on January fifth, right? Yeah, <laughs> like right yeah. after New Year's. No, this actually, and this public comment is only on the two alternatives provided. They will still have to go towards um, having an environmental impact study because there's more to this than just construction. There is impact to Mm -hmm. you know water i mean environmental impact human impact the public so yeah there will be more more exercises of community engagement to come from their side but now we're going to come in and also start pushing for more of that on our side as legislators so more more to come what is the public transportation piece of this because granted our population is going to grow exponentially in the next 25 50 years is our public transportation going to keep up with it? And how much of that can be a piece of mitigating the expansion need? So just to be clear, the Wasatch Front Regional Council plan includes all modes of transportation in their plan. So we are just addressing I-15, 400, north, 400 south to mm-hmm. Farmington. That's all that was being addressed in this project. And keep in mind, Utah has hundreds of projects that they're, they're working on. This was just this mm-hmm. tiny project. The, the plan itself that I encourage people to get engaged and go to the Wasatch Front Regional, I actually started doing more. I, I know who they are, and I've met them before, and we interact with them through a lot of this conversation. But I actually went back and started checking on the plan. And they have a whole plan that includes, you know, obviously more um, public transportation. And then U- UTA comes in and more, um, you know, more walkable communities. And are we, why are we only expanding? There's more into that plan that UDOT is only addressing the yeah. I-15 portion. So I, I, I think I want to make sure that the public knows that this is part of a bigger plan mm-hmm. that has been uh, done and, uh, you know, worked by other elected officials, many elected officials and other experts on this, but it's not the end all. I mean, we yeah. still have a chance for the public to engage and interact, and we want that. You're sounding like, take a breath. 
Yeah, well, we were all panicking. So yeah. I'm with you. Like, I, we went, like, in panic mode. I mean, because we were starting getting the emails because of people panic. And uh, part of it is that communication part. And, I, you know, I will take responsibility of being more proactive. And we want to do that. So I was just with you out this morning on talking about the next steps. And, and this, you know, like, our commitment and our promise to the, the community that was there of what, what can we do to come together with ideas and alternatives and get some technical support because I'm not an engineer by trade, so I would not even know where to start. Um, you know, I don't even know how to write what I'm trying to say, like overpass, down. I mean, so we're going to have that exercise uh, towards the beginning of spring, you know. And by the way, this is all because of there has to be a whole assessment of the comments made on until January. And then from there, they're going to realize, because I think it's going to be very clear, that those two alternatives are not what the public wants. Yeah. So they're going to go back and proceed to more alternatives. I start looking to other stuff. So we will go through that exercise pretty soon here. Well, and plus getting more specific, because when you look at their maps and then you overlay it on what's actually there. Well, that was the other like, panic yeah. on their housing. So that was yeah. the other question. It was very clear that n- the impact on housing and you that is like, oh, I'm sorry. It's just the way we draw the picture. And I'm like, that's you don't do that. I know. I'm like, and they're like, well, it's not, it's, we give a buffer. And I'm like, no, you just created panic out yeah. of like no need because, and they truly believe that the impact, there should not be impact to housing. It's like, there may be some, but it's like, not of what we're hearing on the one is but a it's, family. It's, it's, oh no, clearly. I mean, we yeah. don't want any, but they're just saying, I mean, it's like, it's not that you're going to actually come and take over that piece of land. It may just be that, you know, while that construction is happening, that we may have to just get help and work with that housing or that's those whoever owns that property to work through that process. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they were saying, it's like, oh, I'm sorry if the drawing was too too wide. And I'm like, well, you just, like, panicked everyone. An like, entire if community I lived already there, went through this in the 60s. It's in the 60s, yeah. yeah. So we know, so to your point, History is important. Mm-hmm. It's and and communities that have been oppressed and taken advantage and and abused in so many ways should be able to say no. Like, look, seriously, like Maria said, I'm sorry. There's a trust issue. Yeah. And 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 we we remember, and um, we want to make sure that doesn't happen again. Yeah. We're talking with Senator Luce Escamilla here on Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. And before we wrap, I want to get into some of the next legislative session. And you are a minority leader. The first time a Latino Latina has held that position, I understand. The first time a Latina. Yeah, Latina. we had Senator Ross Romero. That's right. Yeah, he was a leader. Forgive me. Yeah. Forgive me about that. Um, so what are you excited to, to oh, tackle so as District 10? <laughs> the, now, now Senator for District 10. We are super excited and be able to now share this also with my colleague and friend, Representative Angela Romero, that's now the minority leader in the House. We're excited, all women leadership teams in both House and Senate Democrats. Uh, we've been, it, it's just been fun to see that part because I, we also have a over-representation of, of women, uh, female legislators that are in Democrats, you know, so that's exciting. And I think one of the things, at least in the Senate Democrats, I we have three new members. I don't know if you guys know that, but our, our caucus now is 50% turnover. So we have Senator-elect uh, um, Jen Plum, uh, Senator-elect um, Nate Bluin, and Senator-elect uh, Stephanie Pitcher. So we have three new members coming in. And, of course, Senator Maine remains in the Senate and Senator uh, Kathleen Reby. And all of us come from like all these different backgrounds, right? So we have a prosecutor in the house with Stephanie Pitcher. We have our own doctor and emergency room pediatrician. 
uh, Plum, um, of course, Rep Senator Reeby as, as an educator, Senator Maine with all her experience in work, you know, workers' rights and, and employment and jobs and uh, economic development. Unions. In the unions. And then um, newly elect Senator uh, Nate Bluen with all his environmental work that he's done. I mean, we're just coming from all these different backgrounds. And I think it's going to be fun to see our our work, especially on children. There's some of the stuff that we're already working on as uh, we want to start with a very basic part, and that is our kids. And if we cannot come into agreement that our children deserve a high quality of life in our state that claims to be all about families, then we have a bigger problem, I think. Well, how, what's your feeling on these tax cuts plus putting money aside now for tax cuts next year at the same time wanting to make a UTA, according to the governor, free, Utah, uh, the buses and, and the light rail, and then the money to spend on more housing, yet the minimum expected for education. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I was at that, that meeting yesterday, so let, let me just clarify. That meeting was? Yes. Exec sorry. So we had executive appropriations meeting. That's and the that, money. That's where, the, yeah, that's where all the money is. And and what we did yesterday was what we call, we passed uh, a, a recommended base budget. And in that base budget, so I was the one that asked that question about this extra 400 and something million dollars that were... For tax cuts yeah. next year. For, for uh, you know, these were recommendations on, on tax cuts. And so one, we had one that were already committed of the previous, uh, from previous session that needed to just come around. So this is an ongoing piece. And then this other one time, and there's a lot of conversations the governor uh, and the Republicans are having a lot of conversations about, uh, you know, ex continue to work on this uh, tax cuts, uh, income tax 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 cuts. And one of the things that we, we because we voted for, for that piece is that we still can use that money for other tax cuts. And one of the things that we can, as you know, the Democrats have been championing is tax cut on food, 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 food all, yeah, together. all together. We will not we're not going to drop that. So we, there's hope that if with that, that money will give us enough money to actually take care of that. Mm -hmm. So I, I know my colleagues on the other side of the aisle are thinking of income tax cuts. I'm thinking more like, you know, uh, the cut on, on all those sales tax on food, which it should not be there as a punitive, mm -hmm. regressive uh, tax, especially as we entering a recession. It's pretty mean uh, for the families that need the most. So I... You know, I, I made a comment in that meeting that was obviously overly quoted everywhere that I said, look, if I rather I'm sure that if we have this conversation with the public about getting seventy five dollars extra of tax returns next year versus investing on good infrastructure that does not divide the east and the west more, but, you know, brings them together. Or if it's about addressing and helping our working families, I think most Utahns will say, you know, I'm OK with you not giving me back $50 more a year, but let's give it to the families that need it on their, you know, that they can pay or make, they're making a decision between diapers and milk yeah. and that we shouldn't be punitive and penalizing them for that. So I also understand that you're just back from Washington, D.C., where you are at the vice president's Christmas party at the Naval Observatory. Yes. How was that? <laughs> and who was with you? Some other Yeah, so at Representative Romero, we were both invited as minority leaders. And I'll say this, as a, you know, I... Um, as an immigrant to this country, as an as a new American, and as someone you know that just came with a dream, this is the American dream, right? I mean, I'm like this is where, why I get a little bit emotional because it's it's the ultimate thing, right? I have to send that picture to my mom because you know she's like, send the pictures, you know, and and and, and it's a, it's an honor, and you know people feel different about Washington D.C. and certainly there's a lot of things I need to change, but 
this is a vice president. It's a first woman of woman, color. The woman first woman color. and woman of color. And just what, she's, what she represents. And she was very, very gracious, very kind. And she recognized, she actually is, um, has worked with Angela on, on issues related to the abortion, you know, issues. And she's like, yeah, she knew that we were both minority leaders. And she said, well, you know, she gave us some really good, just a great talk. And she, you know, one of the things that is pretty clear to me is that she's like, look, you're the first ones, but not the last ones of being, you know, Latinas in those positions or women of color. And that, that really felt good. I, I have to admit it was, I haven't been in D.C. for, you know, for years because, you know, <laughs> I also needed, I needed to travel with a passport if I went under the previous administration, right? So it was my first time um, in a while and it was just, it was refreshing. It was just beautiful. So I, you know, it's an honor and, you know, very, I don't do this a lot, but took this opportunity and I, I felt we had a good opportunity to also talk about Utah. We usually get disregarded as a very red state, um, very, you know, there's no hope for Democrats in there. I want to make sure people know that we still have Democrats that are working really hard and we represent Utah families and Utah families deserve to have uh, voices as well and we will continue to do that. So as we wrap our conversation and mindful of I-15, mindful of the holidays, what can you share with folks about staying engaged in the political process and why it's important? Look, Laura, I, this has to happen. I mean, I it's the hardest thing when people are tired and, and they have so many things. And I, I'm sure they're like, this is the last thing I want to deal with. But without their voice, without people noting and, and, and listening to those stories, we're never going to make a difference. I mean, we need them to get engaged. Obviously, voting is the first one, right? And please, we just finished an election cycle and people get exhausted. But it's so important and so critical. We still have people that won races by very small amounts, and we lost races as well. By very small amounts. In the West yeah. Side, we lost two Democrat seats. So please know, like, it's painful when we that happens. But now, as we enter the session, this is when people need to start ready. Keep an eye on what your legislators are doing. Make sure that you're following those pieces of legislation because it's for the future. I mean, it's our kids that need this. And I, I, I think I know people love their children and they want to see them succeed. So let, let's do that. And, yeah, we have a great website that allows for people to get engaged. Uh, and that's le.utah.gov. And we're going to have, you know, thousands of bills. We have a lot of new legislators with some interesting ideas. Some of them very <laughs> scary. I will say that. So please keep an eye. And we have all of our contact info is on that website. Most of us have our cell phones there. Texting is easier sometimes to respond yeah. as we're like in meetings and so forth. It's hard to respond to us uh, a call. But we also going to see we're going to have our interns and our staff ready to respond to our constituents. And we need everyone to speak up. We need people to also let their legislators know that even if they are in a very Republican district, that they're still constituents and they need to respond to those constituents as well. Well, as this I-15 issue continues to advance, please come back and, and help us keep our, our radioactive listeners up to date. It's always a pleasure. And I'll put links in the show notes tonight, folks, so you can get in touch with Minority Leader Senator mm-hmm. Luz Escamilla, District 1 slash 10 in Salt Lake County. We're going to go out with a song that Sandra Stokes mm-hmm. suggested, and it's a little bit of Little Dragon Hold On on KRCL 90.9. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks, Senator. Thank you. KRCL, Salt Lake City. If you've made a recent gift to KRCL, you might be able to double your donation with one simple email to HR. Businesses like REI, Dominion Energy, and Home Depot offer matching programs. See if your employer will match your gift at krcl.org.